Well, Cedar Street Baptist Church, I do love you so very much, and it's the joy of my heart to be with you here today. There's no other place that I'd rather be. It's cold and rainy outside, but my heart is warm and full in your presence here today. And if you're, again, if you're joining us for the first time, or maybe it's been a few weeks since you've been here, we're back in our sermon series entitled, Jesus Is, as we've been walking word by word, verse by verse, through the book of Mark. And in fact, we started this journey years ago, and we're already uh, getting towards the end of chapter 4 here in our third year. It's going to be a while before we get to the end of Mark, but I really think the Gospels are to be savored, every single word of them. And so in the past few weeks, as we've looked through Mark chapter 4, we see this theme that Jesus is constantly talking about, and that theme is the kingdom of God. The theme is the kingdom of God. And uh, last week we talked about the secret work of a sovereign kingdom. Well, the title of the message here this morning is The Surprising Growth of a Sovereign Kingdom. The kingdom of God is like this gem, and Jesus, in every one of these parables, He just shows us a different side of the gem. And so last week we talked a lot about the secret work of a sovereign kingdom, that when God is building His kingdom, He's doing it secretly behind the scenes in ways that we can't fully understand. He's even doing it right now in the lives of everybody in this room. He's working in your heart and in your life in a way that you may not be able to measure from day to day. That was our message last week. Now we're talking about the surprising growth of a sovereign kingdom, how something that could start so small would one day grow to be so big. And, you know, it's amazing. You don't have to look too far than the news to find illustrations of God's truth. And certainly there's an illustration that most of us are aware of in the past few weeks. This is more on the tragic side of things starting small and getting big. But think about the California wildfires. This week in the news, it was reported that uh, authorities believe that it was one steel utility hook that caused a fire that has now spread to 153,000 acres and killed more than 85 people. It was reported, again, that uh, this, this utility hook was on a high-voltage line on a 100-year-old transmission tower. It gave way on November 8th in the morning when the storms came, and, and it was fractured, and the, the fire started at the base of the tower. And now look what we have. Again, 153,000 acres of a spreading fire, and, and 85 people and probably more reported dead. Uh, I have good news that the message, uh, we're going to look at the other side of this, but I just wanted to illustrate that some of the most uh, gigantic things that we see in our life, both good and bad, both tragedy and triumph, they all start small. And the same goes for the kingdom of God. We don't see what God's doing at the very beginning, but boy, we sure do at the end. And that's exactly what Jesus is trying to tell us as we look here at Mark chapter 4, verses 30 through 34, that small and unrecognizable things sometimes have the biggest and most dramatic results. So, what do I want us to see? What's the big idea? How can I reword this in one sentence that we would be focused as we walk in on Mark chapter 4, verses 30 through 34? Here's, here it is in one sentence. Here's our big idea. God's kingdom sovereignly grows in a surprising way from the tiniest seed to the tallest plant. Let me say that again. God's kingdom sovereignly grows in a surprising way from the tiniest seed to the tallest plant. So if you want to find out about this surprising growth, turn with me, if you would, to the book of Mark, second book of the New Testament. Again, the book of Mark will be in chapter 4, verses 30 through 34. If you don't have a Bible, please grab the Pew Bible in front of you or beside you. 
We'll be on page 998 in your pew Bible. And if you would stand at this time, out of the reverence of the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant, and perfectly sufficient word. Again, we are in Mark chapter 4, and we will be reading verses 30 through 34. Hear God's word to us, starting in verse 30. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately To his own disciples, he explained everything. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, again, we love you. And we come here today because we seek to worship you in spirit and in truth. And the truth is that you're building a kingdom that we cannot fully see, working behind the scenes every single breath that we take. And that you started with something small, but you're going to make it bigger than we could ever possibly imagine, both in our hearts and our lives and in this world. So, Father, help us. Help us in the next 30 minutes or so just to quiet our hearts and minds and listen to the words of Christ. You're going to do miracles out of mustard seeds. May you do it in our life. May you do it in this church. May you do it in this community. May you do it in this world. And let us be witnesses that participate in this work. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So last week, before we dove into the text, what I did was I tried to define two words. And I'm going to go back through those words very quickly. If you were here, repetition's good. If you weren't here, you need to know this, okay? The two words that I'm going to talk about are the kingdom of God and the sovereignty of God. I don't ever want to assume that when you come and sit in God's house that everyone in here knows exactly what I'm talking about. I can tell you for years hearing pastors preach God's word and not understanding a word because they just assume that I understood our jobs to teach as well as proclaim. So I want to teach these terms. So we're going to start with the kingdom of God. We've been saying this for a few weeks. I chose a definition from a great... Uh, author from Australia named Graham Goldsworthy, and here's what he says the kingdom of God is. The kingdom of God is God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing. God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing. So when I say kingdom of God, what I'm really saying is God's intention for the universe when he first created it. Whenever you think of the kingdom, I always want you to go back to Genesis and think about the Garden of Eden before the fall of man. God intended to have His people, Adam and Eve, in His place in the garden under His rule and blessing. The key there is rule. Under His rule, He gave them free will to choose whether to live under His rule or not. And they willfully chose to reject His rule. They wanted to be the gods of their own life. They wanted to build their own kingdom. And the kingdom of God was greatly fractured. But God made a promise in Genesis 3.15 that one day He would send the seed of a woman, the Messiah, who would come and crush the head of the serpent, put an end to the power of sin, and rebuild and consummate a new kingdom so that things would be the way they were intended to be in the Garden of Eden. And that's what God is doing through the local church right now. He's building His church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. 
This is what God is doing. He's building a kingdom. I think sometimes in America we're so individualistic that we think of salvation just in terms of individual people getting out of hell and getting into heaven. That's a byproduct, but that's not the main goal. The main goal is God wants to build a world where He sits on the throne as King, His people are with Him in His place, and they're under His rule and they receive His blessing. That's what God wants. That's what He's doing. He's building a kingdom. And He's doing it sovereignly. That's the second word, the sovereignty of God. If you've heard that word and you don't know what it means, last week we said, remember the four P's. His power, His purpose, His plan, and His promise. Okay, I'll say it again. His power, His purpose, His plan, and His promise. When I say God is sovereign, if you ever hear someone say that word, here's what I want you to think. I want you to think God has unlimited power. He said, let there be light. All He did was speak it and it happened. He's sovereign. He has unlimited power to do anything He wants, anywhere He wants, anytime He wants, because He's God. That's sovereignty. Not only that, he has purpose, which means he has divine intention in every single moment. That's good news for everybody in this room. Because whether you're experiencing a sweet time in the Christmas season, or whether you're experiencing bitterness, which many of us do at this time of year, in the bitter and in the sweet, God is with you and has intention for you to experience what you're experiencing right now. Because he has a sovereign purpose. He also has a sovereign plan. He is mysteriously working behind the scenes to build to a plan that only He knows. We don't fully understand why God does things. I do not know why God allowed that steel utility hook to be fractured and and catch fire at the base of a transmission tower and let a fire kill 85 people. God allowed it to happen. He knew it was going to happen. He did not intervene, and that does not make Him an unloving God. It just means He allowed that to happen to work together eternally for a purpose that we can never understand. And I will say this, when you read those things on the news... Here's the thing that we should pray. First, yes, let's pray that God would heal. Let's pray that for those maybe in the hospital that God would save and preserve life and they could live good quality of life as long as possible. We pray for those things, but pray that out of that tragedy, more people will come to faith in Jesus Christ. That's what we should pray when we watch the news. God, bring more people to faith. Get into the ugliness of what happened, the death and sin and separation and all these things that you never intended to happen that never would have happened if people would simply have obeyed you in the Garden of Eden. And get in the middle of that, God, and out of that, make more people come to faith in Christ. Pull goodness out of the evil. And He will through the prayers of His people, through His sovereign plan. And then finally, His promise. None of this would be good news. If I told you God had power, purpose, and a plan, but all that was working towards an evil end and not a good, glorious end, that'd be bad news. Here's good news, Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good for those that love God and are called according to His purpose. It doesn't mean all things are good. It means they work together for good. That's the difference. And again, before we walk into Mark 4, let that speak into your heart this morning. God uses so many different things. You know, I was watching a a sermon on YouTube uh, Friday, and a woman, this beautiful woman, uh, this woman, she's probably in her early 80s, she gave this amazing testimony how God enabled her to have clinical depression. And she said, you know, 
I'm not a depressed person by nature. I'm very upbeat and positive, but chemically speaking and spiritually speaking, I went into a long season of depression that required prayer and medication. And she said, God enabled me to do this because it was the only thing he could use to bring me close to him. So let me just say, some of you are experiencing real physical pain right now. You may be experiencing really deep emotional or spiritual pain right now. God is with you. And he doesn't celebrate that you're in pain. He weeps with you. However, he fully allows you to go through this season because it's going to make you more like his son. And that's his goal because he's building a kingdom. He's building a kingdom. So when we think about kingdom and we think about sovereignty, now I think we can walk through Mark 4 and see what Jesus is talking about when he's talking about the kingdom of God. And specifically, we're going to see three transformational stages of a mustard seed turning into a glorious plant. So let's walk through this together as we look at Mark chapter 4, verses 30 through 34. I want us to see uh, three things, and the first is this. To see the surprising growth of a sovereign kingdom, look down at the seed. Look down at the seed. Here's what it says. I'll read verse 30 for context, but we'll focus on verse 31. It says, And he said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? Here's what it is, verse 31. It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. The mustard seed, a very common seed they talked about in Jewish Proverbs all the time. And why? Because it was one of the smallest seeds you could see with the human eye. It was the size of a grain of sand. And that's how small it was. It's used all the time. In fact, when I say mustard seed, most of you think of other verses of Scripture, particularly Matthew 17.20 and Luke 17.6, that says if you have even a mustard seed of faith, you can move mountains. So Jesus uses this idea of a mustard seed because in parables often, and in Proverbs, you take something small to illustrate something big. The contrast between the two is what teaches the eternal truth. And Jesus is speaking in Proverbs. Now, for those of you that believe that the Bible is the Word of God, you're in good company because I do too. I believe this Bible from the first word of Genesis to the last word of Revelation is divinely inspired of God. And when you stand up and we read it together, I say these words out loud. Stand in the reverence of the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant, and fully sufficient word. I believe it's infallible. It's not capable of saying anything false because it comes from God. And it's inerrant, which means it has no errors. Here's the thing. This is one of the passages that those who do not believe in the Bible will try to use to tell you that you can't trust it. And the reason why is Jesus says in this passage, it's the smallest of the seeds. And yet scientists will say that there is something smaller than a mustard seed. All right. In fact, uh, in, in science, there is um, epiphytic orchids are these tiny little seeds that are one three hundredth of an inch big. You can't see them without a microscope. And so a skeptic would say, there you go, Bo. Jesus said it's the smallest seed. It's not the smallest seed. Therefore, the Bible can't be trusted. It's not his word. False. I want us to understand not only what the Bible says, but how to read it. Okay. This Bible is perfect in the intent that the author intended for it to be. Jesus was was speaking a parable. He was not trying to build a scientific textbook. He was not giving a lesson on botany. He was making an illustration of how a small kingdom becomes big. So I just wanted to take that moment to say, you can trust this book. You can trust the words of Jesus. 
All right, he never speaks falsehood, but he does speak in parables. And parables are not meant to be scientific experiments. They're meant to illustrate truths. All right, so something to think about. It's never the precision as much as it is the intention of the author in every passage that is fully true and fully inerrant. Now, he used this proverb because Jewish people understood mustard seeds. All right, there was an agricultural-based community. They understood it, and they also understood the idea of a kingdom. I think sometimes as Americans in 2018, this is where we struggle when we read the Bible. Because we do not live in a theocracy, okay? We, we do not live, we live in a democracy. And our president is uh, more of a politician than he is a nobleman, all right? It, our setup is much different than a world that has a kingdom with a king sitting on a throne and a crown on his head. But the Jewish people understood this. And here's why. At this particular moment in history, they were deeply oppressed by the Romans. And they had this promise in the book of Malachi was the last prophet to speak and 400 years went by and they're waiting for a Messiah to come. And what they expected was a Messiah would come as a knight in shining armor and take the Romans by force and sit on the throne and put on the crown and rule the earth. And the Jews who were oppressed would one day get a chance to sit in high places. By the way, this is why they missed it when Jesus came. When we think about Easter and we think about Judas who betrays Jesus on that Thursday night, here's, here's what I want us to think about. We, all, we think of Judas as just this disloyal friend that completely betrayed and disobeyed Jesus. He did do that, but he wasn't crazy. He legitimately thought, if I could just get Jesus in front of the people and spark this political war, Jesus would show himself to be the mighty warrior and he would take the kingdom by force. And Jesus says, if you live by the sword, you're going to die by it. I'm building a kingdom in a way unforeseen by men. He missed it. And the Jewish people are sitting here listening to Jesus right now, and they're missing it. Jesus is saying the kingdom of God starts like a mustard seed, this tiny little thing that you can't even see. And it's going to come not by storm, but by season. And it's going to grow little by little, day by day. And they did not realize they were staring at the Messiah who is the mustard seed. Think about Jesus. Think about the Christmas season. Born homeless in a Bethlehem manger. Raised in the small podunk town of Nazareth. Trained as a blue-collar carpenter. Meek and lowly in heart who spent more time with wayward sinners than he did with mighty warriors. This is our Messiah. And this is what they're missing. And Jesus is telling them right to their face, you're waiting for a kingdom and a Messiah. Guess what? It's coming, but it's coming as a mustard seed. You won't even be able to see it when it starts, but you will be able to see it when it finishes. And this is the whole kingdom of God, the whole story from Genesis to Revelation, small beginnings and great endings. When God promised that he would build a kingdom, he started through a nation and he told an old man and an old woman who couldn't have children, guess what, Abram, guess what, Sarai, you're going to have a child and the entire nation's going to come through your lineage. They're going to be numerous as the stars in heaven. And the nation's preserved in Egypt under the protection of a rejected, forgotten ancestor named Joseph who was left for dead. And God used him to sovereignly protect this kingdom as it was starting to grow in Egypt. And then the nation grows through a victory of a Gideon army of 300 men as they face thousands and thousands of Midianites, but God gives the victory. And then the nation's ruled by a king, 
who's a small shepherd boy, the smallest and youngest of Jesse's sons. His name is David. And he's the one who slays the mighty Goliath by the power of God and God alone. This is God's plan. I don't know why, but I do know it's the truth that God uses the foolish, weak, low, and despised to do what he's called to do. This is what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 27 through 28. It says, But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. This is God's choice. And why? Because His grace is sufficient. And when His grace is what brings the growth, He gets the glory. Think about what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. He had this mysterious thorn in the flesh. To this day, we don't know what it is. All right, but he kept asking God to take it away, take it away, take it away, and he wouldn't do it. And Paul said in, in verse 9 of chapter 12, he said, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Something that starts small and grows big. Something that is weak and becomes strong. All through the glory of God. This is how God works. So again, number one, to see the surprising growth of a sovereign kingdom, look down at the seed. This is how God starts things. And as we'll see at the very end of our time together, this is what He's doing in our life as well. But number two, to see the surprising growth of a sovereign kingdom, look up at the plant. We look down at the seed. Now let's look up at the plant. The first part of verse 32 says, And yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants. Many people say that a typical mustard plant grows to about 10 feet tall. It's a shrub that looks like a tree, and it towers over the whole garden. This is what a mustard seed is. And what is small and weak will become exalted and glorified. That's the truth that we see through this seed. And you know what? I think God has put the desire for us to see these type of things in our heart because we love underdog stories, don't we? Gosh, every time somebody wants to make a billion dollars, just make a movie about underdogs. Everything, I mean, name any sports movie that you've ever seen. It's an underdog story. It never starts out with Goliath, and Goliath wins in the end. It starts out with Goliath winning in the beginning and David winning in the end. That's basically how the stories work. And, you know, we just want to say, look where I came from and look where I am. I have to confess this to you, my church family. This is why I have a slight obsession with Rocky movies. Okay, I, I'll confess it to you. I should have confessed it this morning in our worship service. I love the Rocky movies. Um, I, part of it is because Rocky's Italian and I'm Italian, and he's from South Philadelphia, and I'm from South Philadelphia, and came from humble beginnings, and I came from somewhat humble beginnings. And he made something of his life, and I want to make something of my life. And I can think many times uh, walking on the same streets, those movies were shot, kicking around some pebbles, thinking, yeah, maybe I'll do something someday where I'm just not another bum from the neighborhood, which is what Rocky says in just about every one of those movies. There's something inside of us that resonates with something small that starts to be something big. Now, in terms of my own identity, I'm grateful that my identity is not in anything I've accomplished, but in the finished work of Jesus Christ. I didn't know that 10 years ago. My life was about trying to accomplish something great that I could stick my chest out and say, I'm, I'm part of the small percentage of the world that accomplished this or did this. 
But that's not why God has called me to serve. It's not why He called you to serve. All right? Our success is in our surrender to Jesus. It's His finished work in which we are accepted and made new. But we can still resonate with those movies. Okay? We can still say we'd love to see something small that God makes something great. And I want to stop for a moment and talk about the capital C Church. And then I want to talk about the little C, Cedar Street Baptist Church. Let me start with the capital C church. You don't believe that God can take a mustard seed and build a 10-foot plant in the garden? Look at what happened to the church. I want you to stop and think about Matthew chapter 16. Uh, In that passage, Peter confesses that Jesus is God. And, And Jesus looks at him and says, Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, Simon Bar-Jonah, but my Father in heaven. And I will build what I must now call my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's the first time he promised and used that word church, Matthew 16. Started with 12 men. The last report, we are at 2.3 billion people walking the earth right now who confess with their tongue that Christ is Lord and believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead. You don't think God can take a mustard seed and build a 10-foot plant? This is what God's doing. That's roughly 31% of the earth believes that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, from a missionary's heart, let me just say that's not enough. This number has got to grow. This seed has got to spread. And we have to share the good news. I don't think any of us should ever be completely excited and celebrate until we see that number continue to multiply and multiply and multiply and multiply until Jesus Christ returns. But I use it to illustrate a fact that a mustard seed's become a very big plant, and I praise God for that. Now stop and think about this church. I'm, I'm sad that Miss Catherine's not here. I always think about her because she's a charter member that always uh, inspires me and shares kind of the, how the story of Cedar Street started. But stop and think. Almost six decades ago, a small handful of people decided to meet above a liquor store. And they said, let's worship Christ together and raise our families together. Now, obviously, I wasn't on this planet when that happened. But I'm here to see the plant today. What a joy it is. What a joy it is that at that particular time, we were the smallest seed in the Garden of Metter. And by God's grace, we've become a pretty big plant. And we don't brag about that. It's all the work of God. But we give Him praise for it. Look around. Look at what He did. Look at what He's doing. Look at what He will do. This is the God we serve. And then I want you to think about the kingdom and how as this tree oversees the whole garden, that the kingdom of God will oversee the whole earth and oversee every other kingdom that came before it. You know, the Bible talks a lot about kingdoms. The Bible talks about the kingdom of Egypt and Assyria and Babylon and Persia and Greece and Rome. And every single one of them had their season as the biggest plant in the garden. But the mustard seed's coming. That ten-foot shrub's going to cast a shadow over all of it for all of eternity. And I can't wait. And I'm excited to see it grow day by day until Jesus comes back. So, to see the surprising growth of a sovereign kingdom, we look down at the seed We look up at the plant. And third and finally, we look out at the branches. We look out at the branches. Listen to the end of verse 32. It says, I'll read the whole verse for context, but listen to the end of it. Yet when when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and plants out 
or puts out large branches so that birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Okay, mustard, mustard plants not only grow up, they grow out. And they grow out covering the garden and growing branches so that things that did not have a home in the garden can now come into the garden and find their home. Large branches reach out to offer homes to those who otherwise would not have been in the garden to begin with. And I want you to look at one particular phrase here, birds of the air. Now, we could skip over that quickly and not realize what it really is saying is birds that don't have a home. Birds that need a nest. Birds that find their home and build their nest in the branches of the mustard plant. All right? And I want you to think back to Cedar Street. Why did God plant a church above a liquor store? Again, I wasn't here. I could ask Brother Ronald. I could ask Miss Catherine. I could ask some others that were. Uh, I could ask Virginia Mercer. I could ask others. What they would say is this. There were people that did not feel comfortable worshiping in other churches because they did not have. So they wanted to be around other people who did not have. And just worship in simplicity together. All right? They had no other home, so they found a home. They made a home above a liquor store. And it found its way to 255 Cedar Street. And God's made it a pretty special home. The branches have gone far out. And guess what? They need to go further out. The branches need to go further out. All right? I do not believe that we will fully be what God intends for us to be until the branches grow far enough out that every ethnicity and every socioeconomic status in this community is also represented in this church. I believe that's His will. That the church reflects the community because everybody in the community has a place in the garden. And that's my prayer for our church. And that's my prayer for the kingdom. Jesus Christ will return when every tribe, every tongue, and every nation has heard the gospel. Why do you think Jim and Shelley Savage rack up their frequent flyer mileage going all over the world getting Bibles into people's native tongues? Why is it that we're launching a missions committee this year and trying everything we can to go to all over the world and sharing the gospel, starting here in Metter and going as far as the Lord will let us go? Because the message has to get out. People need to know the Lord Jesus. They need to be saved. And they need to know that someone died for them so that we could live for Him. They need to know there's a family that has spread the branches out so far. There will always be a home if only you would come and rest in the shade of Christ. This is the kingdom of God. And we watch it surprisingly grow when we look down at the seed, when we look up at the plant, and when we look out at the branches. Let me sum this up and land the plane. In one sentence, how do I bring this to a close? Here it is. Celebrate the surprising growth of God's sovereign kingdom because what Christ redeemed in humility, He will soon reclaim in glory. Celebrate the surprising growth of God's sovereign kingdom because what Christ redeemed in humility, He will soon reclaim in glory. Jesus came as a mustard seed. He came as a suffering servant, born without a home, lived in the smallest town on the map, raised up in a blue-collar industry, and roamed the earth for three years of earthly ministry before He ascended to the Father. But when He comes back, He ain't coming as a suffering servant. He's coming on a horse. He's coming with the sound of trumpets. And the world will know. Every knee shall bow and tongue confess that Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We need to celebrate. We need to work. And we need to trust that God is building His kingdom. So as we draw to a close, 
I want to paint a portrait, and I'm going to start big and go small. Okay, so stay with me here for just about two or three more minutes. I want you to think about the kingdom of God externally and internally. Because remember I said the kingdom has an external factor, the physical world, but an internal factor, your heart, your soul. So let me start externally for just a moment. Think about where it started, the kingdom of God. Again, specifically, we think in the New Testament about the church, how it started with a promise that Jesus made to Peter and the apostles, 12 men that has now become 2.3 billion people. And think about where it's going. Jesus Christ returning, making all things new. That for everyone that places their faith in Jesus Christ, there will be no more death, no more disease, no more pain, no more separation, eternal communion with the Father and the people of God gathered around the throne for all of eternity in pure joy, crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God and the Lamb. That's the mustard seed turning into the mustard plant externally. But I want you to stop and think eternally or internally. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, there was a time in your life that you realized that you by nature are sinful and you'd be condemned without a Savior. And you gave your life to Jesus Christ. Now think about that moment and think about where you are right now. All right, that small mustard seed of faith. No one comes to faith with giant faith. You don't, you don't wake up one week after becoming a Christian and all of a sudden you're the next Michael Guido. That doesn't happen. Michael Guido became Michael Guido because he walked with Jesus for eight and nine decades. All right? Day by day, hour by hour, resurrendering his life to Christ. And the mustard seed became the mustard plant. What about your life? Maybe you can't see the growth. But if you truly do love Jesus Christ, I promise He's going to take that mustard seed of your faith and He's going to make a 10-foot plant. And that's my prayer for you. That's my prayer for me. You know, this week I, in prayer, I just thought about some things that I've been struggling with that are some of the most common things that I've struggled with well before I ever became a Christian. And if you're not careful, you can stop and say, how transformed is my life really? I'm still struggling with some of the same things I did before I became a Christian. But then I have to stop and remember about the kingdom that he's building internally inside of me as well as externally. I'm not the same person that I was when I got saved 10 years ago, 11 years ago now. I'm not the same person that I was three years ago when I started pastoring this church. And Lord, I certainly pray I'm not the same person three years from now that I am as I stand behind this pulpit. I believe that our God is a God of transformation. I believe it so much that I prayed that it would be part of our mission statement, and I repeat it as many times as I can so that it is, it is just, it's like a, a brand that is just sewn in like a tag on your jeans. It's just sewed in on your soul, transformed through the gospel. Our heads, our hearts, our hands. The kingdom of God, a mustard seed transformed to a 10-foot plant. This is what God's doing in your life. Trust Him. Stay close to Him. Water that plant through repentance and faith and prayer. And the reading of His Word and the gathering of His people. Go where God is. Do what God does. Seek forgiveness when you fail. Find joy in His grace and know that He'll grow the mustard seed. He will. And finally, there are some of you in this room. What I've offered you is a mustard seed that you're holding in your hand right now. But you haven't let it bloom in your heart yet. I know Jesus, you say. I've been to church. I'm a believer. 
Listen, I stood up in a church and professed that I knew Jesus Christ and he was my Lord and Savior. And I can tell you, I was lost as a prairie wind. Because I still believed that I was a good person who probably could have made it to heaven on my own merit. Because I judged myself by the standards of the world. And I'd never been to prison. I was a good child. Decent grades. Well, not great, but decent. It wasn't until I was 27 years old that God brought me to the end of myself to bring me to the beginning of Him. I realized at 27 years old, I was a mess. Now, some of you come to faith as a child and praise God that that God sometimes brings people to faith in the household at four or five years old and they spend their whole life worshiping Christ. But don't assume that's you. Don't assume that. Are you growing in your understanding of your sinful nature? And your understanding in the need of a Savior. And the understanding of what God is doing in your life right now. Can you say, I'm not who I want to be, but I'm not who I was. By the grace of God, I am who I am, and God ain't finished yet. Can you say that? If you can't say that, as Greg beautifully illustrated and invited you to, to take part in during the reading of the psalm, there's no better time than today. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. Understand that He's holy and you're not. But He will will judge you according to His holy standards. Put your faith in Him. Trust that when you die, you'll stand before God and He'll declare you innocent because of what Jesus did for you that you could not do for yourself. But to receive that, you have to repent of your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ. And there may not be another opportunity to do it. So do it now. Trust Him. I trust Him. And the reason why I trust Him is this. The kingdom that was once a mustard seed is going to be a 10-foot plant. And I praise Him that He's got enough shade under that tree for me to have a home. Let's pray. God, Your sovereignty is such a mystery. Sometimes I just have no clue what You're doing in my life, in my family, in this church family. I just don't know what you're doing, God, but here's what I do know. You're working. You're working all things together for good, the bitter and the sweet, for those that are rejoicing in the Christmas season and those who are wallowing in depression right now. You're working in both of their lives, fully in control, allowing all of it to happen and working it together for a greater good in a way that we could not possibly imagine. Father, I just pray that you would help us to have a a new and fresh look at your kingdom and your sovereignty, that when things don't look like they make any sense at all, that you're at work, that you will have final say, and that your kingdom will be eternal. Let what you're doing on the outside also take place on the inside, Father. And if anybody in this room does not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, will you bulldoze them with your Holy Spirit? Convict them. In such degree, they could not help but trust in you. Father, be with us, I pray. Let this church that started off as a mustard seed be a plant that has branches that spread far enough for anyone to come and have home. Be with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.